Good morning to my favorite church in all the world, Church on the Rock. What's up, everybody? Good to see you. Y'all look good. Listen, um, I, don't, I don't particularly prefer to worship backstage, but sometimes sort of logistics demand it. Uh, but I was just behind the curtain over there worshiping in the last song, and you guys sounded like a, like a choir. Or so. I mean, the sound of your voices coming this direction really, truly was beautiful, man. It was, ah, just moved my heart. So thank you for just being a worshiping church. That's what it's about, man. When we get before the Lord in song, it's his part. It's his part of the service, to lift him up. Amen, everybody? We transition into the message. That's our part. This is where the word, this is where the, the word of the Lord speaks to us. Amen. And so uh, I hope that you're ready. I'm excited about preaching today. I'm excited about the sermon series that we're in. So if you're new around here, we have started a brand new series. We're calling it Crosswords. And what we're doing is we're looking at the seven statements that Jesus made from the cross. There were seven things that he declared while hanging on the cross to pay for our sin And we just thought, man, there's got to be significance into those words because how many of you know that Jesus doesn't waste words? I mean, I know that I might waste words. If you listen to me preach long enough, you'll be like, amen, but not Jesus. Like Jesus always had something to say. Um, And so from the cross, he said some very, very powerful things. And so we're in the second installment now of this series that we're calling Crosswords. And if you missed part one, I I just really would recommend go back and see it. Uh, Because in the same way that last words matter, I believe that first words also matter. And what Jesus said first on the cross, I think it's the declaration. I think it's like a, a pronouncement of like, this is why I came. This is why I came. Amen, everybody. And so if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and to watch it. But today we're going to get into part number two. If you're ready, say ready. ready. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, buckle up. There you go. There you go. Turn to the other person and say, I'm pretty sure he's talking to you. There you tell him. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. So the cool part to me anyway, I guess, is um, to get the full story of the cross, to get all seven statements from Jesus, you have to look at a lot of different, you have to look at several different gospels. And if you don't know this, by the way, and, and maybe you don't, that's perfectly fine, but the gospel is four different accounts of the same story. So as you can imagine, if, if you and I were to witness, let's say, an accident, and you were on one street corner and I was on the other, and then maybe an officer came up to us and said, like, what happened? What did you see? We saw the same event, but we saw it from different angles and different perspectives. We have different backgrounds and personalities, and what stood out to you may not have stood out to me. And so in the In the documentation of the gospel story of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is the first four books of the New Testament, you get these different perspectives. So so to get all seven things documented in Scripture that Jesus said, you got to bounce around a little bit to different stories. So we're going to John today. Uh, Excuse me. (laughs) We're going to go to Luke today. Uh, We'll be in John next Sunday. I'm a week ahead. Let me go back to this message. Y'all ready for part two? I'm going to give you that one. Here we go. So we're going to go to Luke today, chapter 23. Excuse me, we're going to read verses 35 through 43. Again, this is Jesus hanging on the cross. And here's what the Bible says, that the crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. So this is, this is like the people that essentially put Jesus there. And they're, they're pretty pleased with it. And they would say things like this, he saved others, let him save himself is if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. In verse 36, the Bible says that the soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. Just pause right there for a moment because there's a lot going on, right? And, and I want you to imagine 
for a moment the cross. Now, we could just dive right in. We could read the text, and I can kind of get to my points. But really, I think to fully appreciate the power of the resurrection, you have to understand the sobering reality of the cross. And so as we go through these seven statements of the cross, I really want us to get ourselves in like that, that passion of the Christ sort of, sort of like mindset and remember what Jesus was enduring. And so if you can imagine for a moment that Jesus at this point has been severely beaten, like in terrible, terrible ways. In fact, in Isaiah, here's what, here's what a prophetic message about Jesus, the suffering servant, is found in Isaiah chapter 52. And in the 14th verse, not in your notes, not on the screen, just bear with me, the Bible says that many were amazed when they saw him beaten and bloodied, so disfigured, one would scarcely know he was a person. It's like, dang, that's a real beating. And the Romans, they had so mastered the art of torture that hanging someone on a cross was, was probably the worst sentence that one could receive. And imagine Jesus for a moment. Are you ever had like a big event coming? Maybe it's the exam is tomorrow and you just can't sleep at night or, or maybe it's the procedure is tomorrow or it's the big game or whatever. You got something ahead of you and like you just can't sleep at night because you're either worried or excited or a little of both and you got a lot of things going. I just want you to imagine Jesus at this point probably hasn't slept in more than a day. He's been through probably the worst beating that any of us could ever imagine. I've seen people get beat. I ain't never seen somebody get beat so bad that I I can't recognize them as a person. It's pretty significant. And then here's Jesus after being nailed to the cross and, and, and suffering uh, w- with his own blood loss and depression and all the things that are going through his mind and his body and all this pain, and yet he's still communicating to us. And the Romans, though, had figured out some tricks to extend people's torture. And so what they would do is, knowing that people are probably severely dehydrated at this point, They've probably gone long time without sleep. They're probably in the worst pain that they've ever experienced in their entire lives. The Romans would keep on hand sour wine, which is wine that no one else would drink under any other circumstances. But in this circumstance, people being crucified were probably so very thirsty that they would anything, they would drink anything. Remember when you were fasting last month? Come on. You didn't have dinner last night, and by breakfast, just you'd eat anything? Come on, it didn't matter. It's like, it's like oatmeal, sure, I'll take it. Nobody likes oatmeal, come on, man. But when you're fasting, mm, oatmeal might be the greatest thing on earth. You know what I'm talking about. And so here's, here's Jesus in this moment of total depletion and total agony And these Romans would offer these people sour wine and they would take it because of their deep thirst. And what it would do is it would numb them just enough for the Romans to prolong their suffering, to hit them again, to torture them just a little longer. It was a little bit of a trick to numb them down so their bodies could take more abuse. So as we consider Jesus hanging on a cross, nailed to it, and still communicating to us, it's significant. Wouldn't you agree? And so they mocked him by offering him a drink of sour wine, verse 37. And they called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And a sign was fastened above him with these words, this is 
the king of the Jews, which was true. They're trying to mock him, and they're just stating facts, man. This was, in fact, Jesus, the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So if you're the Messiah, so he says, if you're the Messiah, or you prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. Go ahead, be the man, do your thing. Verse 40, but the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? Now, I want you to notice verse 40, 41. Here we go. We're taking it to, the, to like the focus verse of the day. We deserve to die for our crimes. And he's speaking for you and me. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In verse 43, focus of the day, the second thing that Jesus says from the cross is this. I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, of all the people in all the Bible, of all the stories, 66 books, thousands of verses, all kinds of characters and stories and Moments through history, there's few people that we could say beyond a shadow of a doubt without, without any doubt at all, with total certainty, like they went to heaven. There's, there's a handful, and this is one of them. In the New Testament, to my knowledge, the only one in the New Testament, that with certainty, we know this brother ends up in heaven. Why? Because Jesus declared, today's your day, bro, you and me. This ain't gonna last forever. This is temporary. There's more to this life than this life, and you and me, we're gonna see it, and we're gonna see it together today. It's powerful. It's powerful. But I wanna take a minute, if I can, because I, I unpacked this a little bit last week. I wanna unpack it just a little bit more this week, and then we're gonna kind of round the corner and get super practical and all the stuff that I like to try to do when I preach, okay? But there's these two criminals hanging on either side of Jesus, and I, and I think that this is significant. Again, I don't think that there's anything wasted for us not to, not to see. I think the Bible's trying to, to open our eyes to see God more clearly, and we have two approaches, really, to come before the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with, and one is an approach that a lot of people come to him with, and they say, well, if you are who you say you are, and if you're loving, and if you're powerful, and if whatever, all the things that you claim, if you're good, and all this, then why don't you save me from my situation, or from my pain? Why did this bad thing happen to this person, and why did this happen to them? And, and they get a bit of an attitude toward the Lord in the same way that the criminal does, and says, well, if you are who you say you are, and if you're good and all that stuff, well, then do something about it. And sadly, that's some people's approach to Jesus. It's unfortunate. And we'll ask questions, right? Because we're normal, because we're people, right? So, so just bear with me for a moment. But we'll ask questions like, well, why do bad things happen to good people? And I would just like to declare they don't, because we are not good people. We're not. And I know you're like, yeah, I know, yeah but I am. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Per like compared to who? The guy on death row? Like your former college roommate? You're probably doing okay. But if you're comparing yourself to the holiness of Jesus Christ, you're a long way off, bro. Like you're not even close. And so, so if we approach our Lord and Savior, Heavenly Father, King of the Jews, Savior of the world with the attitude of, well, if you are who you say you are, then do for me, we've got roles reversed. Problem is we see ourselves first, and that's, that, that is real bad. You with me? I'm going to preach today, so just buckle up. Remember, you told your neighbor, get ready. He's talking to you. It's, so it's ain't for you. It's for them. Just carry on. But we can approach Jesus that way. And I think even the most faithful follower of Jesus in this room 
would probably admit that even in their faith journey, have probably pivoted to this opinion toward Christ at one point or another in your life. And listen, I think it's because we're carnal and natural and fleshly, and there are sometimes we're like, I don't really get it. Come on, have you ever been in a spot, you don't have to raise your hand or whatever, but you ever been in a spot where you're like, man, I don't, I, just, I don't get it. What is going on? But we have to be very, very careful not to take the posture toward Jesus that criminal one does, but then criminal two has a totally different approach. And here's what he recognizes, that I deserve to be here. And this is a posture of humility before the Lord. And when, when we recognize, when we're willing, I, I think the most freeing thing that you and I can do for ourselves is look in the mirror and get honest. That's just me. All right, maybe I'm a, can, I, can I back up and tell you a story? I probably don't have time to tell you, but I, I used to have like a ter- terrible, terrible, horrible temper. Would lose control of myself before I even knew. It, it was like, I, I don't want to call it like a blackout, but it felt like it. Because I would be in trouble. And listen, I'm talking about like 30 years ago. All right, so give me some grace. I've grown a bit. But like lose, my, lose control of myself and I would wind up in trouble or in these places where I'm like, how did I get here? And I remember, okay, I remember. <laughs> I laugh at myself now. But when, you know, sometimes, sometimes we just don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And I remember that people that loved me enough to try to coach me, okay, to help me, they would say, Josh, you have a bad attitude. And I'd get so mad. <laughs> that's, that's right. I would be so mad. Why would you say that to me? And at some point, somehow, I don't know, by the grace of God, maybe maturity, maybe the Holy Spirit moving in me. I don't know, prayer from people that love me enough to just bend their knee for me. I got to a place where I just stood in front of, the, both, both figuratively and probably literally, I just stood in the mirror in front of myself and I was like, Josh, you have a bad attitude. They say that because it's true. And when I took ownership of that, I began to change. And maybe somebody needed that this morning. Because you keep blaming everything and everybody else for what's going on in the world around you. And you want to find a reason to pass the buck? Not in my notes at all, so let's just follow the Holy Spirit. And the problem, sir, is you. You lay in the bed you made, and you can fix it if you'll look in the mirror and take ownership of it. You cannot control her, the boss, the government, the scenario, the situation, no. But you take total ownership of you, and you work on that, and you ask God to come in and help you work on that, and I guarantee you things will change for you. Okay, amen. Amen. So the posture of criminal two is that I deserve this. I should be hanging on this cross. I did things that got me here, and this really is the approach that I think brings us to the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, is when we recognize that, man, I'm a sinner, and I'm guilty of all of this, and I deserve to be here, but you don't. 
And the fact that you're here with me is pretty radical and it's pretty crazy and it's pretty powerful to think, Jesus, that you would come where I am into my world of situation and story, that you would endure what I endure, that you would walk through what I walk through. This is what Jesus did when he was incarnately brought down to earth and walked as a man and the Bible said tempted as every way that we were. This is Jesus personified, hanging on the cross on behalf of our sin and he is flawless and he is perfect and he's doing it for us. Amen. And so we can either take criminal one and say, if you are who you say you are, fix it. Or we can take criminal two and say, you are who you say you are. Humbly help me. Amen. Amen. And so I want to unpack this just a little bit because what, here's what Jesus said to criminal two is he said, today, bro, today you will be with me in paradise. Listen to me very carefully. This is what Jesus wants to say to you This is what he wants to say to me. This is what he wants to say to your friends. This is what he wants to say to the people that you think are too far gone or they're too, like, they're just too sinful, too dirty, too rebel, too whatever it is. And you're like, man, those people will never bend their knee to Jesus. But Jesus wants to look at them and say, today, you will be with me in paradise. Listen to me. Jesus wants to save everybody, amen, from their sin. And so I want to tell you, I want to set up a little bit of a story, okay? Because today's message is going to be very cultural to the house here at Church on the Rock. I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to speak some culture uh, into us, some things that I think we do really, really well that I want to make sure that we never stop doing and that we can always improve on. Sound fair? And so I'm going to take you to um, a little story in the Bible. We're, not going to, we're only going to read one verse from the story. Uh, some of you are really familiar with it. Cool, follow along. And some of you are like, I don't know these characters. Totally cool, follow along. Everybody's going to be safe, okay? I'm going to guide us right through it. But the Bible tells this story of a dude named Zacchaeus, uh, and he was a wee little man. Come on, how many of y'all went to Sunday school? I don't know why the Bible points out that he's short, other than the fact that he had to climb a tree to see Jesus. Maybe that's the reason, uh, but if you're short, there's hope for you. Maybe that's the point of the message. Um, I don't know where this stuff comes from. I'm sorry. Zacchaeus was, um, was a tax collector, and in that time, in that era, like, being a tax collector was not, people didn't respect that. And the reason that people didn't respect that, like if you're a tax collector today, it's, it's awesome, cool, way to go. But back then it was different because they would use the authority that the government gave them to exploit people. And so they, basically they were, they were professional thieves. Uh, and they had, the, they had the endorsement of the government to get away with it. And so they would just totally extort more out of people or whatever. And so they did not have a very good reputation. Well, Jesus, by this point, uh, is coming into the city where Zacchaeus lives. And he's pretty excited because by now, Jesus is like, he's like TikTok famous. Like everybody knows him. And so they're, they're like, like, oh my gosh, you know, and you ever had a celebrity coming into town, you know, the amphitheater or something. You're like, oh my God, I hope they sweat on me or whatever it is that you do at concerts. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't really do concerts. I don't know what you do there, but um, we get pretty excited, you know, when we get around people that we think are awesome, uh, regardless of why we think they're awesome. And so Jesus kind of had that sort of fame, like people, people wanted to be around him and they wanted to see him. And even if they didn't like him or follow him or respect him, the fact that like he's going to walk by was probably pretty cool. And I'm sure people filmed it and posted it and all that. And so Jesus has come in town and Zacchaeus is one of those guys. He's pretty excited 
that Jesus is coming, and so the crowds are kind of gathering as Jesus is coming through. And, of course, he's short, right? I said that earlier. And so in order to see Jesus, the Bible says he climbed a little tree. And so he climbs the tree, and he's watching Jesus go by. And it's crazy now because Jesus, with all the masses of people and the fame and however you want to kind of contextualize it, he's walking through the city, and all these people with their fanfare and their enthusiasm about him, he stops at the tree, he looks up at Zacchaeus, and then he does the thing that I'm not sure is polite to do, but he did it. He just invited himself over to the house. You ever done that? You ever been like, I don't really have a lot of groceries right now. Can I just come to your house and eat? That'd be cheaper and better for me. Now, every kid in the auditorium's like, yeah, do that all the time. What are you talking about? <laughs> Even grown kids. Come on, how many of you guys got kids at your own? You just invite yourself over to mom and dad's house because it's easier. Come on, yeah, yeah, good, good, good. All right, that's awesome. Way to go, man. That's the beauty of family. So Jesus, I don't have time for all this. Let's get to it. Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus. And he's like, man, I need to come to your house today. And then so Zacchaeus is probably like, what? Like, I just wanted to see him. And he wants to spend time with me. And so, and so as Jesus and Zacchaeus go off to the house, Zacchaeus invites buddies, like, come over. Jesus is coming to my, to my place. Come over, we'll get in the pool. And so they, they all start, I don't know where this stuff comes from. So they come over to the pool party. That is not documented in Scripture anywhere. Um, and all the people start hating on Jesus because they say, and this is some of my favorite language in Scripture, they say he's gone to be the guest of tax collectors, and this is my favorite part, and notorious sinners. How dare him? And then Zacchaeus has a complete change of heart that then creates a change of life. And through all the criticism, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus says, for the Son of Man, and I want you to hear this very, very loud and clear. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus sort of gives the mission. I came to this earth. I didn't come to hang out with all the churchy, religious people. Like, I came. It's not... It's not the well that need a doctor, it's the sick. These are like, this is words of Christ Jesus. And I came here for people like Zacchaeus. That's why I came. And I know that you think it's crazy that I hang out with him. I'm totally paraphrasing here, just follow me. I know that you think it's crazy that I'm hanging out with him because he's got a bad reputation and he's a notorious sinner and you don't like him, but he's exactly why I'm here. And he is the person that I came here for. And the fact of the matter is that he has the right heart because he didn't take Thief 1's approach to me. He took Thief 2's approach and said, yeah, man, I've got a lot of mistakes in my life and I need to change. And Jesus, I believe that you are who you say that you are and I will put my faith in you and I will follow you. And Jesus is like, salvation came to this house today. Boom, that's what I'm for. That's why I'm here. And so the, the language of Jesus to say, today you will be with me in paradise is essentially the language of his mission. That I came for people who are sinners and broken and lost and jacked up and don't have all the answers. And they don't have it all figured out and maybe they don't wear the right, right clothes or say the right words or know all the verses or pray like you pray, but I came for them. Come on, somebody. And so I wanna make sure that at Church on the Rock, we always maintain a focused heart on like, let's be about what he was about. 
which is why we do the stuff that we do. Now, I'm going to unpack this just for a second, right? Because we are about to move, and Lauren said it moments ago, that we are about to move at Church on the Rock from one service at 10 a.m. to two services at 9 and 11. And like about half of the room goes, woo, and then the other half's like, ah. Because here's the thing. Can I, can I just preach a moment? Man, I got to hustle. All right, here's the thing. People love change. You do. You love it. You love new cars and new makeup and you love new kitchens and you love all the new. You like new. New's good until new is forced on you. And then it's totally different. And I think 100% of us would be like, yeah, it's true. That, that's, that's true. Like if you went and chose a new haircut, that'd be exciting. But if I shaved your head in your sleep, different. Okay. <laughs> Can we agree? All right, all right. And so listen, listen. So in this church, in this church, here's, here's what we're discovering, is that for whatever reason, people are coming in to gather with us and make much of the name of Jesus, worshiping him, hearing his word, and taking steps. And we're recognizing that, and thank God for it. And I just want to be honest, like from behind the curtain, kind of if you popped the hood and looked inside, it's easier to stay in one than to move to two. It's easier. It's a lot, it is, it is pretty complicated. I know that a lot of you think that as a pastor, I work like a half a day a week. I get that, cool. But it's a little bit more than that, like a day and a half probably, right? It's a lot that goes in to, lack of a better term, the machine of the operation of a church, a lot that goes into it. And I'll just be honest, it'd be pretty, like, this is pretty great, isn't it? We look around, the room's full, and there's a lot of people, and we know each other really good, and God's on the move, and we're excited about that, and things are great, and we could just pedal here. We could just stay here if we want to. But I just don't think that would be the mission orientation that Jesus had in his declaration from the cross, that I want more people to be with me in paradise. And so we're the church that's like, well, then we got to stretch those muscles, man, and we got to make a step, and we got to create room. And so, so we're going to move from one service to two. And we do things, by the way, like life groups, right? And, and we, we gather together between Sundays on purpose with intentionality. And we build relationships with one another and pray for one another. And listen, it would be easier not to ask that of you because it's, it's pretty complicated to organize it and train leaders and develop systems and get you guys together and everybody wants to host at the church and our church is that big and it's difficult and all the stuff. But we do it anyway because we recognize the power in it. And God has not called us just to gather on Sundays in big rooms, but he's called us to gather together and break bread and build relationships and all that stuff. And then, yes, it would be easier if we just stayed in one service with one serve team and we just keep doing the thing that we're doing. It's a lot more complicated to double everything and to make sure that we have healthy rotations and that the people that are serving are serving and they're taken care of and we're not burning them out. And so we're asking you to engage. Would you get involved and would you help us? And the ask is not would you help us do church, the ask is, would you help us have the heart and the language and the voice of our good shepherd Jesus that would say, I came to seek and save those who are lost, and I would love for you, could you just create space for more so that we could say to them today, today you'll be with him in paradise. And here's I, I, a pastor that I'm getting to know and listening to preach a lot more. He said this uh, when I was listening to a message the other day, and I loved it. He said, I cannot make you love God. It's not, I can't. I'm the pastor. I can't make you love God. But I can create space, opportunity, atmospheres, and things that help cultivate your love for him. 
And at Church on the Rock, that's what we are about. And so we work hard and we think a lot and we call on God and we move with obedience and we do the things that he asks us to do because we want to see people who do not know who Jesus is to come into an understanding of his lordship and his love and his care and the joy of walking in step with him and the transformation that that brings to our lives and the lives of those around us. And this is why, this is why we do the things that we do. And so with this in mind, uh, I want to offer something to us today. Can can I do that? I believe that God is calling us, not, not just us, Church on the Rock, but I'm only responsible for us, Church on the Rock. I will only give an account for us. But I believe he's calling his entire body to say, Proclaim it, man. Tell people about me. And one of, one of the most intimidating and difficult things to do is share the gospel. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how well you know Jesus or what your title is. It could be, it could be intimidating sometimes to just share the gospel with other people. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's part of the mission. It's a mandate on our lives. Remember the great commission of Jesus? It was the last words before he ascended to the Father You can find this in Mark chapter uh, 16. He says, I just want you to go tell everybody everywhere. Just tell them, tell them, tell them about me everywhere. And then Matthew chapter 28, it's recorded that Jesus said, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. Like, I I don't want them just to hear. I want them to grow. So make disciples in my name and raise them up and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all, right? Amen. And so it's the mission and it's the mandate of the church of Jesus Christ. And so here's what I thought. And when when I was fabricating this message, I just thought, well, maybe it can help us improve at sharing the gospel. So I'm just going to give you four thoughts on how you can, maybe you can do that. Sound good? Just four thoughts. It's super practical. Now, listen, this is not an exhaustive list. It's not like magic formula or anything. It's just things that I thought about that I think would help us to be witnesses to those around us and be proclaimers of the truth and the hope of Jesus Christ to those around us, and here we go, we're gonna talk about sharing the gospel because some of you want to and some of you don't know how to, and so here we go. We're gonna start, number one, I think this is kind of like the entry level, simplest one. Uh, I think it's everybody's got this, even if you don't know that you've got this. Number one, I'm encouraging you to just share your story. Everybody has a story to tell. Like if God has done something in you, he's done it in you, and it's yours to tell. So the best part about your story is you don't have to know all the Bible verses, you don't have to pray as good as your life group leader, you don't, you, don't have to be, you don't have to be like an apologetics expert and understand every world religion and why you believe Christianity is right and those are not, and et cetera. You don't have to have all that to tell your story because it's yours. And the, the, thing, the best part about your story is you're the one that feels it, lived it, experienced it. Nobody can separate you from the emotion of it and the power of it. And so your story might simply be, I don't know all the answers and I don't really understand it. I just know that God is doing something in me. That's my story. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, here's what the Bible says. I love this. This, by the way, let me give you some context really quickly. Jesus has died on the cross. He has conquered death, hell, and the grave. He's risen, okay, from the tomb. Come on, that's Easter. We're gonna celebrate that soon. And then uh, he tells the disciples, like, I'm about to peace out. I'm, I'm going to heaven. I was raised on a cross. I'm about to be raised into the highest place of honor and sit down at the right hand of my heavenly father and pray for you. And then he's essentially saying, I want you to go and tell everybody, but... Don't tell them nothing until I give you the power of my spirit. And this is the beauty of being a Christian today. 
is that the Spirit of the living God takes his residency up inside of us. This is why buildings aren't churches, you are. That's a, you missed it. I'm a, I'm, hang on, I'm going to put the ball right back on the tee, and then you just hit it. This is why buildings aren't churches, you are. Amen. Amen. And some of you are like, really? And I'm like, yes, that's a powerful truth you need to understand. And so here's what Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says. It says that you, this is Jesus proclaiming, like, don't do anything until you have my spirit. And then he says this in reference to the spirit. You will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And watch what you're going to receive power to do. Look at it highlighted there on the screen. And you will be my, say it, my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem and throughout Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth, which is why a team from Church on the Ark is going to Zambia, Africa, everybody, because that right there, because of that reason right there, we just thought, man, we could tell our neighbors and then we can tell people in Africa. And some people are participating by going. Some people are participating by supporting and giving to those going. The rest of us can participate by praying for those going, but Church on the Rock is going to do this holistically together. Say amen right there. But the first way that I can share the gospel is just share my story, man. God has given you a story to tell. And here's the best part. You only have to be a witness. And a witness just tells what they saw, experienced, what they felt, and what happened on the inside of them. And I would suggest to you that when people ask you questions, or maybe you've never told the story of God inside of you because you're afraid of the questions, just be confident and okay when the questions that you don't know the answers to come up, that you just say, I don't know. And be confident and okay with that. Now, maybe not forever, because we, we need to become disciples of Jesus and grow. But if you don't know, I, listen, if you have to wait until you know all the answers to proclaim the gospel, I should resign right now. Because I don't either. I'm still a student of the Bible and learn things all the time. And people ask me questions sometimes, like, what do you believe about the thing and the ting, ting, tong? And I'm like, I, I don't know right now, but I'll look at the Bible, try to email you back one day. I'm not good with email. Just share your story, man. God will give you the power to be a witness. Share your story. Number two, again, just ideas of how we can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, share prayer. This is just, this is just a principle that I use that perhaps um, you could use. You ever had somebody that knows you're a believer, and then maybe they come to you in a time of distress or something, and they're to kind of talk to you about it, and then you go, I'll pray for you. We probably, a lot of us, right, have done that. Like, I'll, I'll pray for you. And then the email came in, and the, there was an idiot in traffic, and all of a sudden you're late, and now all of a sudden you get back home, and it's three weeks later, and you're like, man, I never even thought about it, never even prayed about that. Guilty? Anybody in the room? My hand's up. Okay, good. Good. I'm in good company. All right, so I have a strategy that, that I use. It's just what I do um, when people will, will present things to me, um, and I try to hit this every time. I'm, I'm not perfect. You know, I'm just a normal person. But like when people will say something to me about, man, I'm going through this thing or whatever, instead of saying, I will pray for you, I just ask, can I pray for you right now? And they're like, in Walmart? I don't really, I don't really go to Walmart. So Target? And I'm like, yeah, Target. I don't have a prejudice. Just Walmart's too busy and no one works there. Um, <laughs> All right, I'm kidding if you work at Target. All right. All right, stop it, stop it. All right. It was a joke. Um, I just simply asked the <laughs> I have totally derailed us. Come on, y'all, get spiritual. Um, 
I just, I just asked the question, hey, can I just pray for you right now? And it usually staggers people like, uh, sure. But in my whole lifetime, in my whole life, I've only had one person ever say no, ever. One time. And I have asked that question to countless people. Can I just pray for you right now? I'll just, let me just pray right now. I think it's a powerful thing to do because here, here's the, uh, let's read Acts chapter 12, verse five. Watch this. Peter was kept in prison. This is one of the followers of Jesus. But earnest prayer for him was made by the church. And here's what I want you to know about the people that come to you in their time of distress, that they are in prisons, man. They are in prisons of, of chaos and fear, worry, anxiety, prisons to what the doctor is saying to them, prisons to the condition of their marriage, prisoned to what might actually be going on in their child, that they have no idea, are they well, whatever it might be. And man, we can share prayer. We have a story to share, and we could just be the ones that say, let me, let me just pray for you right now. I think it's more powerful than private prayer later for those people in those moments. Number three, number three, and this is one that I love, uh, again, listening to preaching I heard this recently and I thought, that is fire and I just wanna unpack it with our church. But number three is I believe that you can share their burden. Sometimes people, they're just going through stuff. And maybe they don't trust you and your nutty religion and they think your church is wonky or whatever, whatever their lens is. But bro, when you show up with food, and you're just like, hey, you don't have to cook tonight. Have lasagna, because that's what everybody brings. Um, <laughs> people are like, oh man, that's great. Or, you know, when the elderly couple Around the curve is just some um, fixed income and everything is more expensive than it used to be and they're struggling and you just notice that their grass is tall and the HOA is probably all over top of them and you got that sweet rider in the garage and you, you know what, maybe you just run down the road and just pss, 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 and they're like, what are you doing? Like, I just, I just care about you. You know, like, let me just knock this out for you. It's no big deal, man. And that's an opportunity to share a story, to share prayer, but to share someone's burden, I think is a big thing that if we just come alongside somebody and I don't know why I'm getting so emotional. But it's powerful. And if anyone's ever lifted weight for you, you know what it feels like. And the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, share each other's burdens. And in this way, you just obey the law of Christ. Share the burden. Walk with people. Help them. You do not have to have it all together and be perfect to help somebody out. I think it's a powerful way to share the gospel. And then number four, and here's where we're gonna land the plane this morning, is I wanna encourage you to share an invitation, an invite. Now, all of us, y'all see me do this sometimes. I talk about like this, we're, we're all on this different place in our journey of faith. And I don't think the faith journey is necessarily linear, but it makes sense in this visual example right here. That some of us are on one end of the spectrum where it's like, I'm, you're just brand new to the faith and it's, I don't really know a lot, but man, I know that God's doing something in me and I love going to life group because I learn more and I'm figuring out how to pray and I'm just, do, you know, and like you're, you're over here and then there's others of you and it's like, you, you're just like, you're just like, 
totally spiritually mature, and you, you can just, you can pray like Billy Graham, and you, and like, you would win every, if, if we did, like, the Bible race, y'all remember when you did that in Sunday school, like, all right, first person to Galatians chapter 2, you're like, bam, what? Like, you're that person, you're just so there, and it's awesome, and we're proud of that, and, and then there's, like, everything in between, man, we're all in these different places in, in our journey of faith, and so some of you, you know, you might be in this spot where it's like you're totally confident and comfortable to just invite somebody into a salvation prayer, like in their front yard because you mowed their grass, and you just have the boldness to say, "Man, do you know Jesus? Are you ready? Like, would you like to? Because He's transforming my life, and the only reason I'm here is because of what He's done in me." And I believe you'll do it in you. And you, you're just there, like that's you. And then there's others of you that are like, "That sounds scary." I don't know if I'm there yet. I just want to encourage you that you still have the opportunity to share an invitation. Because if you've ever participated in our, in, uh, our All Access Connect class or whatever, you, you know some things about your church. I'm going to give you a speedy version of it right now. So here's, here's one thing that you know, is that we just love everybody, all of them. We make a big deal about that around here. We don't care what their color is or their age or their background or their income levels. We just, we don't... That, doesn't matter to us. We're not trying to like target a certain audience or reach a certain demographic. It's just like, we're just kind of, this is, this is the heart of church. If, like if you're people, we're just, we're into you. We love that. And if you don't like all people, you probably won't like it here if you're kicking the tires, just so you know. But we do. We just love, we just love people. So we're pretty welcoming and we do everything we can to just make you feel great and awesome because we think we're better because you're here. Just because you walked in, we instantly got better. That's just our heart, right? We also do some things around here that we just tell our church that 52 Sundays a year, every single weekend, no matter how many services we do, no matter who the communicator is, no matter what the topic is about, that every single Sunday, we're gonna give people the opportunity to step into a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And we just walk people through a simple sinner's prayer. It's not magical, it's just ours, it's our language. I never even intended for that to become the rhythmic thing. It's just that people in our church started memorizing it. And then they started telling me, I used it with my friend at work. And I was like, man, we, okay, let's just keep doing it. Maybe, maybe it's, again, it's a tool. Maybe it's like, I just memorized it. Now, now should the invitation go to you and someone you, you kind of know how to lead them in prayer. Is that making sense? But what you know about your church is we love everybody. What you know about your church is we're gonna welcome them. What you know about your church is, is that, man, they're gonna have an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their personal savior and you can share an invitation. I wanna read to you a scripture. Man, I'm trying to get better about my time, y'all. I'm almost done. But in Matthew chapter 22, verses nine through 10, I don't really have time to set it up for you, but there's a parable being taught here by Jesus. And he says this, go therefore to the main roads. And watch this language. Invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads. And who did they gather? All. They gathered all whom they found, watch this now, both bad and good, so that the wedding hall was filled with guests. Jesus is telling a story, and here's what Jesus is essentially saying. 
I'm here for everybody. I'm here for everybody. All of you. And so, you ever had a wedding invitation? Anybody ever been to a wedding? Got an invitation? You ever had an invitation and, it, and on the invitation it said plus one? Everybody have that? That's because they know that you need a wife and they're like, we're going to set him up for the opportunity to find his wife. Maybe that girl he's been dating, maybe she's it and we get them in a romantic atmosphere. Who knows, man, sparks might fly. Come on. <laughs> it's, it's an invitation plus one. And here's what I want us to do. Today and forever forward. I want us to start thinking, who's your plus one? Who is it? Who are the people that God has put around you that need your invitation? They could be good or bad. It don't matter, just go into the roads, who are they? Because all of us have these, these spheres of influence and if we all looked at it, if we could see it, it would be like this incredible reaching thing that, that we have. There are some people that would never give me the time of day because they think, oh, he's just some polished preacher. Fine, whatever. But they trust you because they know you and they've been where you've been and you've experienced what they've experienced. Maybe your family or whatever. And there's just, they will hear from you. They might not hear from me. But because of that and because of their trust in you, you might say, listen, I just our church isn't like maybe some of the ones you've been to or seen. And maybe our church is a little bit unique and would just give it a shot. And we start inviting our plus ones into our services. Because when we move from one service to two, it's gonna change everything. We're kind of used to how it feels in here. And, and then all of a sudden we split that in half and you're, and you're gonna think, well, it feels different in here. And I would say that's because it will be different in here. And we're doing this to create space. For who? For plus ones. Because that thief hanging on that cross, who humbly said to Jesus, I believe you are exactly who you say you are. Please remember me. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. That thief was somebody else's plus one. Hanging on a cross. And you and I all know people that need the hope of Jesus Christ in their hearts and in their lives. And now we just have some tools, man. We have a story that we can share, prayer that we can share, burdens that we can share, and invitations that we can share. Here's what we're gonna do today is we're gonna start saying, God, who's my plus one? Who is it? I've been witnessing to one man for almost two decades. One guy for almost two decades. I've been, I've been overtly, blatantly, declaring that God has hope for you, bro. You need to surrender your life to Jesus. I say it to him like that. And he's a plus one that I have been praying for forever. And the only one who has ever refused my prayer. And I will not quit. I will not quit. Let's stand together as we close. The question is, who's your plus one? You might have one or you might have 10 ones, plus ones. Well, guess what? The invitation's open. We have plenty of room. Go tell them all and invite them in. Invite them into a place that you know to be safe and welcoming and loving and a place that is proclaiming 
the hope of Jesus Christ through the gospel that he presents. Amen, everybody. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, we're gonna do what we always do. We're gonna start right here. We're gonna give you the opportunity. Maybe you're in this room and, and maybe you felt a little bit awkward. You've been like, man, he's been talking about lost people and people that aren't following Jesus. And blah. Maybe I picked the wrong Sunday to come. No, you didn't. I think you picked the exact right Sunday to come because you've heard a presentation of Jesus's heart for you. And here's what he wants to say today. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. And if that's you, I wanna invite you to say a very simple prayer. Again, it's just this simple prayer that nothing special about it, but what is special is what's taking place inside of your heart, okay? And our whole church says it out loud because we want you to be able to say it with confidence. And then we'll help you with next steps like public professions of your faith, like baptism and that kind of stuff. We'll help you with that. But for now, this is your moment between you and the Lord. And if that is you and it's your heart, I want you to say this prayer from your heart. I want you to say, dear Jesus, I give you my life, all of it. Come into my heart, forgive me of my sin, wash me, cleanse me, make me new. All that I am is yours, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's congratulate those. Congratulations, if that was you, tuning in online maybe.